Taylor Walker from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Shannon Hearn from the West Coast Eagles. This is Nathan Jones from the Melbourne Football Club. Phil Davis from the GOS Giants. That's Brad Avery from the Port Adelaide Football Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Number four in the 50 most relevant, Western Bulldog Jackson McRae. Last year, he went from a consistent, you know, 100 averaging midfielder to elite uber territory in every single format. The question the fantasy coaches right throughout the preseason are pondering is can he do it again? You got MJ from the coaches panel. We're chatting about the play that I've got at number four in the 50 most relevant and to chat all things about this Western Bulldog. I've got Jimmy on. Hello, mate. How's it going? Hello, MJ. How are the listeners? Doing well here? Let's talk about this 24-year-old midfielder. He had an absolute belter of a fantasy season last year. He averaged 122.6 in AFL fantasy, meaning he is just a touch under 800,000 in that format, just over 780,000 in Dream Team. And his highest score last year in AFL fantasy was in the final game of the year, 190 against the Richmond Football Club. A phenomenal game. And if you had him as your captain in the last round, chances are you won your grand final. For Supercoach, his best score came against Gold Coast in the middle portion of the year. It was a 189. His average, even stronger in Supercoach, a 127. He's going to set you back $689,700. As we said right at the start of this episode, he's been this faithful and consistent fantasy football premium. But last year, Jimmy, this incredibly unlucky player that didn't get all Australian selection took his game to a new level. 32 disposals per game. Led the Bulldogs for contested possessions and clearances. And even though he missed three matches due to a hamstring injury, he was still ranked ninth in the AFL for total handballs and total disposals. It was a phenomenal season from Jackson McRae. Oh, absolutely it was. And um, and, and now with uh, Mitchell out as well, he's sitting very clearly as uh, the number one midfielder available this year. I, I think so. He was the second best averaging midfielder of last year. You're right. You mentioned Tom Mitchell was the other one. And he eclipsed in AFL Fantasy the third place midfielder, Andrew Gaff, by 12 points. That is a huge gap between second and third, or in this case, now with no Tom Mitchell, first and second. His seasonal average in Fantasy and Dream Team was 122.6. That was an increase of 18 points per game on his 2017 season. And that included 16 tons. 10 of those tons were over 120. And five of those tons were 140. And that grand final, final round of the year, 190. On top of these consistent hundreds, he only had two matches in AFL Fantasy last year that he failed to score 90. And one of them, he got injured before halftime by hurting his hamstring. So if you take injury-impacted game out. It's always dangerous, I know, Jimmy, to remove scores out. But I think when it's an injury-impacted game early enough, it's probably fair to do so. If you take that injury-impacted game out and you just focus on full games that he ended the match playing, his fantasy average was 127. Yeah, not not bad, eh? Not bad at all. And, um, and I guess the question we've got to ask ourselves is, can he do it again? Um, or, or perhaps even, can he go better yeah. again next year or this year? And that's that's going to be the real make or break of it, I think. Uh, there's no doubt he's a genuine premium option for us. You know, worst case scenario, he's certainly not averaging less than 100. Oh, gosh, um, no. But uh, that's it. But are we wanting to pay 
that 120 plus point average for him um, or are we better off waiting and getting him later on? And that'll be a question I want to pose back to you in around about two minutes' time because in Supercoach as well, he had a stunning season. Only Brody Grundy, Max Gorn, and the out for the year, Tom Mitchell, had stronger seasonal averages. 127 was his Supercoach average. That's a jump of 20 points on his 2017 numbers. 16 tonnes. 12 of his hundreds were over 120. And like in AFL Fantasy, he had just the two scores under 90. Using that same idea of, let's take that injury-impacted under 90 score out. His seasonal average, fully fit games, 131. Look, last year, certainly he went to a whole new level. No one, no one disputes that or doubts that. But he's been a really consistent premium midfielder for us since back in 2014. During that period of time for AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, his averages um, have been 104, 104, 98, 104, and then last year's 122. Supercoach, 100, 99, 93, 107, and 127. And in the space of these five seasons, he's missed just 10 matches. That's an average of two per year. But some of those, you go back to the premiership year of the Bulldogs back in 2016, he actually got dropped to the VFL for a couple of games because he was struggling with form. So it's not only injury concerns you've got. What I've done here is, I know when his 2018 year was so good, but let's look at the fact that I actually believe he's been building to a phenomenal year. If you were to look at his scores between 2014 and 2017 combined, he has only had nine games where he's scored under 80. Just nine. He has had... 26 scores between 100 and 119. He's had a further 12 scores. This is for AFL Fantasy. So 12 on top of this 26. 12 scores of 120 to 139. And three on top of that of 140 plus. That is a massive, massive amount. That is, if my math serves me correctly, 41 tons prior to last year in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. Similar in Supercoach. He's had just 11 games under 80 between 2014 and 2017. 2400s between 100 and 119. A further 12 between 120 and 139. And a further 4 in Supercoach over 140. Yes, last year was amazing. But you could kind of build a case he's been bubbling away, waiting to take it to that next level that he did. Oh, absolutely. And and the thing with those stats too is that you're talking um, you know, at the beginning of those just from his second year. Mm. Um yeah, you know, he he really did burst onto the scene. But and um and so and I think um yeah, you know, there's there's no question, as we said, that um he's got that scoring power and he's been building towards it over the journey and uh, and he's going to be a premium midfielder for us for a long Long time to come yet, and uh, and if you're lucky enough to own him in a keeper league, um, hats off to you. Well you're not done. selling him. And, uh, Why no, happy days um, without many of the jump segments there. But um, but coming back to the the present time of 2019, it's really just going to be a matter of is that 2018 season something that can be replicated uh, or, or preferably improved? And you know, I'm just I'm not quite sure. You're cautious. And it's a very familiar um, kind of thought and feeling process amongst the fantasy community. It's this, okay, we knew he was good. He's just got very good very quickly. And can he go there again? Because we have to, yes, applaud the season that has been. But how did his scoring booster core occur so drastically? 
from a statistical perspective, he increased his disposals by five per game. He kicked six more goals than the year prior. Uh, for the record, that was only two, so it wasn't a big jump. Um, no. and, and his, you know, inside 50s um, went up an extra one per game. Um, interestingly, his uncontested rate of possession increased, and on average, his tackles just marginally dropped off a little bit from what he did the year before. I know we talk about if he yeah. doesn't get the ball on the inside, he'll get it on the outside. If he doesn't get the ball at all, he'll, he'll get tackles. But it's not like his, his tackle count went through the roof. It's actually he just chose to get a little bit more of the ball using his elite endurance to get to contest to contest. And then he would more often than not use the ball by foot. Like there were countless times when you owned him, you were watching him. He'd get those quick one, two handballs, then use yeah. his running and aerobic capacity to get on the end of the next link up and transition play and distribute the ball by foot. So statistically, that's where it came from. But I think anecdotally, it probably came from him stepping up and being that real leader of the midfield. Bontempelli spent probably a little bit more time forward than ideally where the dogs would have liked to see him and use him. And I just think it was because he used every facet of his game and he became the leader of that midfield. And while I know there's one big inside bull coming into that side in Tom Liberatore, I'm not sure about you, but I don't believe Liber's inclusion into the side changes Jackson McRae's role? No, not even a little bit. Um, I think, yeah, much as um, McRae's perfectly capable of winning ball on the inside, um, I, I think, um, you know, so that contested possession rate is is ranked, uh, I think, below average for the, uh, for his position in the league. And so it's um, he, he's getting most of his ball on the outside. And you, uh, um, you watch him play, and I had the, the pleasure to do so a few times last year. He's... Um, constantly working off the ball. It's not by chance that he's sitting a man behind every contest waiting for that uh, quick release to then be able to distribute. It's very deliberate. You can see him running all over the ground. I don't know what his kilometres are like, but he's very clever with those running patterns and where he's going, knowing where the next contest is going to be. And so there's countless times every game where you can see him, um, Yeah, even on TV, you can see where he's standing or, or running around the outside of a pack waiting for that ball and doesn't yeah. get used. So he's certainly got more opportunity than, than he actually picks up throughout the game through use of his teammates. But I think he is, to a degree, and I don't mean this as a slide on him in, in any way, um, to a degree reliable in some ways on his teammates getting the ball to him mm. um, to be able to get those big, big scores. And, and that's something that the Dogs did really, really well last year. Um, Liberatore coming in, I think, only helps rather than hurts in that department. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to like from that point of view. Um, still, as I said, um, with all of that said, and um, I still just can't help but feel a little cautious. Yeah, I, I find it actually quite funny when you think of that because you're right, it, it was a year that came bigger and better than anyone could kind of have hoped, but there's all these questions of can he do it again on McRae and a player that may or may not feature in the final few in the 50 most relevant, Brody Grundy. I know a different player altogether. Um, both had big, significant average jumps. For Grundy last year, it was 14 points. For McRae, it was 18 points. For Grundy and Supercoach, based off seasonal average, it was a 33-point jump. McRae was 20. It's just interesting to me, whether it's right or wrong, that there seems to be no doubts that Grundy will go and do exactly what he did last year, even though he had, certainly in Supercoach, an even bigger jump. But there's no question marks that he'll do it again. But for McRae, 
there seems to be a few more. I, I find that fascinating that for one player who had a huge jump, we're questioning it. For another, hmm. yeah, no problems. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, I wouldn't be at all surprised if McRae did go and replicate it. He's certainly got the tools to do it. And you know, he, he proved that, um, that it is very, very doable. I guess um, part of my concern with McRae and that, that style of game that he plays also comes into the, um, you know, and we don't know exactly how these new rule changes are going hmm. to impact the game, but whether or not that will help or hurt him, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and, and how the dogs are going to change their game style as well. I think they're, um, they're, they're not the sort of team that is going to persist with something that clearly didn't work the way that they wanted it to last year. Um, something is going to change for them. And, and whether that's going to allow McCray to play that, um, that role um, off the ball and, and, and picking up as, and distributing as much as he did, I'm not sure. He may be required... Uh, in a, in a different sort of facet, and, and again, whether that helps or hurts, I don't know. But for me, there's just those little bits of question marks, and every time I do put him in the team, because it, as, you know, as we know, he can quite easily do what he did again, it just doesn't quite feel right. Um, and then when I look at, um, and I'll use Josh Kelly as an sure. example, um, in, in Dream Team, he's uh, a good 100,000 or less than McRae. I think it's about 70 or 80k in Supercoach, and think, well, if I'm comparing those two players directly with that amount of cash difference, do I have confidence that McRae is going to outscore Josh Kelly by enough to make him worth picking? And that's the... In either format. And that's the conversation you've got to think about is, is he... Yes, he's at a top price. Unlikely to get better. Possible, but unlikely, given Mm -hmm. how high he's priced. Do I just bank him? No, I've got him. Not worry about his price because the price doesn't matter once you own him. The only yep. reason his price matters is if you have to trade him out because once you've got him, his price tag is irrelevant. The price tag matters yep. for those trying to get him in or the forced trade out. Do you go with, look, I'll back McRae to be there and thereabouts and to be considerably better like he was in, in mm-hmm. Dream Team and Supercoach and Fantasy? Or if he comes back to the pack a bit, can I save some cash? Because I'll still want him. I don't think if McRae is out of anyone's side, I think if he's cheap, uh, cheaper, you're going to get him because I think you want him in your side. Yeah. Um, and the earlier, the better, because the longer you leave it, the harder he could hurt you. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and with that ceiling too, um, mm. you know, we know he's capable of those big 150 pluses. Yeah. Um, you want as few of those not in your, in your score as you can get. So you're right. If you don't start him, you need to find a way to get him sooner rather than later, and you're banking on him having a bit of a price drop early. Um, and we know with um, in these salary formats, the way the magic number works, mm. even if he does score what he's priced at, his price will drop. Yes. Um, so there is, to some degree, a benefit to doing that. But history has also shown us, um, going back some time when Dan Swan was scoring these 130 sort of averages and, uh, and when Tom Rockliffe was doing that, if you didn't start with them, it was incredibly hard to get them, even Tom Mitchell in the last couple of years. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's very, very hard to get those top-level Uber premiums if you don't start them because generating enough cash to do it, even when they do drop a bit, is um, you know can be nigh on impossible, or you're burning two or three trades to be able to generate enough to, to go and buy him. And those are the factors that you've got to put all these things in place and then make the decision that feels right for you because I think you're going to want him as quickly as you can get him. Whether that be to start or not, you want Jackson McRae in your side 
before the buy rounds. Um, speaking of before the buy rounds, if you look at his opening five games of the year, this is some of the scores he delivered against his opponents that he had last year. This is what he did against them. Last year, he opens up against the Swans. Last year, he scored a 128 in AFL Fantasy and a 103 in Supercoach. Didn't play the Hawks last year. Round three, he plays Gold Coast. Last year, he got a 151 in Fantasy and a 189 in Supercoach. Round four, he takes on Collingwood, a 113 in Fantasy and a 102 in Supercoach. Then in round five, he played Carlton twice last year and he got a 124 and 145 in Fantasy and delivered a 141 and a 110 in Supercoach. If he starts 2019 like he scored on them in 2018, gosh, he's not dropping much. Um, if any at all. And that will be the dilemma. Start with him. You may get him cheaper, but you bank the points. Or do you find ways to aggressively look to bring him in as soon as you can? Because I know he does have the first buy round. But at round 13, the damage would probably have been done if McRae does what many still expect to be. And that is he's likely, if not the number one, definitely top two or three midfielding option for the year. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? So the, the longer you wait, the more chance there is of hurting, uh, and it's just whether you're comfortable rolling the dice in that meantime, um, and whether the player you do pick instead of him is capable of matching him, um, and, and how you use that extra money. So, I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be talking anyone out of starting him by any stretch, and so all of this caution is just as much as anything to temper your enthusiasm. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, I do think it's one that needs a, a lot of thought to go into rather than just an automatic selection of, yep, starting McRae, move on. It's been interesting to hear some of the coaches come out talking now that we're getting close to the preseason JLT community series matches. They're often referring to seeing the game open a lot more um, later in the year and they're starting to, in the game, sorry, and starting to see the guys with endurance and strong aerobic yeah. capacity get to more contests because of it and the benefit for them that could come with the game opening up. And that's going to benefit Jackson McRae, no doubt. Here's the thing. Should you start with him? Absolutely a warranted selection and not a bad pick in any format. Even in AFL Fantasy, mm-hmm. it's not a bad pick. No, Should you upgrade to him? Even. I think so. Should you upgrade to him? Absolutely you should. If you don't have him by round eight to round 10, it's starting to get really hard, really painful. Get him in as soon as you can. Right now, I've got him in a, most of my formats. Fantasy is the one I don't have him at this stage, but I'm quite open to my mind being moved and twisted and going, yes, you should get value premiums where you can in fantasy, but once I got him, I don't have to worry about how to get him. Yeah, that's it. And that's perfectly solid argument. For me, I'm waiting to see... Not so much what McRae does in JLT, but what the Bulldogs do as a whole, how they're lining up, what Mm. style of gameplay they're bringing into it. Um, That's going to be the key thing for me in in whether I start him or whether I wait for him. And it's a fair enough concern and caution too. Let's talk drafts. Keeper leagues, this will be quick. If you have him, you're not trading him. You're just, you're not. When a guy goes 120, I know you could get two or three big premiums and another really early round draft pick and all that stuff. Here's the thing. When you've got a guy that's proven he can go high 120s averages for the year Mm. and he's under 25, you don't trade that for nothing. So he ain't going anywhere in existing. And then a Mm -hmm. seasonal draft is similar to a new keeper league is if you've got a pick inside the top three, you've got an opportunity to get him because if you're from pick five onwards, 
He's not sliding that far. No, surely not. No, not, no, no. He's a top three selection in pretty much most formats of the game. Maybe drifts to, you know, to a fourth selection if someone prefers a Paddy Cripps or a Clayton Oliver over him. But yeah, if you don't have a pick inside the top three. I don't see many of those happening. I reckon it's Gorn is the only one that someone might go, you know what, I'm going to lock that in early. Um, and that's the only way I can see McRae slide into four. Yep, and I think that's and a fair no enough. No chance of five. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you've got pick five or beyond, sorry, you will not be yeah. owning Jackson McRae this year. Just hate to break it to you. He's gone away in those first couple of picks. Hey, mate, appreciate your thoughts today on Jackson McRae. No worries at all, mate. One last thing I will mention um, before we sign off, though, um, just back on the salary format mm. and your rolling lockouts and whatnot. Uh, the Dogs have only got one Thursday-Friday night game all year, um, which um, may or may not be of any interest to people, but uh, just a thought to keep in mind. On the flip side, that also means he's a very, very solid backup plan if your Thursday-Friday loop doesn't work. That's certainly very, very true. If you want to go and check out the article on Jackson McRae or any of the other players in the 50 Most Relevant, it is at coachespanel.tv. If you're enjoying the podcast of the 50 Most Relevant, leave a five-star rating and review and make sure you subscribe so as soon as the episodes are live, you get them downloaded straight to your mobile device. We enter in to the, really the podium finishes of the 50 most relevant now. The top three of my list of who I think are the most relevant players across all of your salary cap formats of the game. And I wonder if it's one more curly surprise still left in the countdown.